Well, hello, one and all. Welcome back to the podcast again. Uh, of course, I'm Tony Cicchini. We have the legendary Joe Cardinal, Brian Deneve, and a returning special guest, uh, a friend and co-worker of, uh, of uh, Joe's named Dwayne. He'll, uh, Joe will introduce him and all of that jazz. Uh, I just want to say quickly before I forget, because my mind, I'm scatterbrained, uh, Tomorrow's the day, the deadline. That's it. Uh, no more Tri-C program after tomorrow. So you people have one more. Well, I'm looking at the clock on the wall. Well, who knows what time you guys are going to see this uh, podcast. But, you know, the clock strikes midnight tomorrow night, Central Standard Time. And that, that'll be all she wrote. Uh, so um, I had somebody write me a couple days ago. And I, I mentioned, hey, you know, we're, I'm shutting it down. So you snooze, you lose. I hate to say it that way, but yeah, it's that's that. So I wanted to just get that out in the open uh, before I forget. So um, take it away, Joe Cardinal. Well, hey, we also got to do some other plugs. So yeah, obviously Go the most important it. thing is, uh, you know, jump, jump on. This is it. This is your last opportunity to kind of get a lifetime membership to Tony's training and getting access to all his videos. Uh, the one video, uh, the other video, though, that's not in our control that we need to plug Um is the BJJ Fanatics video, which has now been out for a few weeks now. I'm, I'm losing track of it. I don't know, a week um, and a half, maybe two yeah. weeks. Yeah, but um, definitely everybody jump on that, buy that. It's great information. I'm super proud of the techniques we put on there. I think um, those of you familiar with Tony's techniques will see things in a new light. Um, he's doing them in new combinations and setups. Uh, if you're new to it, um, this is a great introductory product to get you into Tony's lineage of catch wrestling. Uh, it's a great product to get. And obviously, uh, you know, buy it for yourself. Firstly, uh, if you're a martial artist or serious about self-defense and the grappling aspects of it, but then also buy it to uh, help kind of ensure that we can do more of these and a kind of uh, document more of Tony's techniques that we can get out there. So the more that are purchased, the more likely that we'll be able to do follow-up, uh, you know, volumes of this. So, but like I said, it's, it's a ton of great stuff. Uh, you know, four volumes are downloadable or you can watch them. Uh, you can stream them online on BJJ Fanatics website. So if you're, you know, have some technical problems, you should be able to watch them fairly easily. Yeah. Let me interject because uh, I got an email from somebody about a week or so ago. I, don't have anything to do with the video, okay? Meaning, if you have technical problems, you have to go to BJHA Fanatics. As a matter of fact, as, at this point, I'm not even advertising it on my website. We're going to see how well BJHA market, Fanatics market it, but, you know, we're obviously advertising it here. But, yeah, I don't uh, – I, I have – absolutely nothing to do with it. So um, normally everything is in my control. Uh, this is the first product that I've done that's completely um, out of my control where I cannot sell it. So uh, yeah, any um, technical questions about that? And I, I can tell you too, no, it is not available on DVD. No, I cannot give you a DVD. No, I haven't even received a copy of the video myself so i can't tell you at at minute marker 20 minute you know uh we show this or that i have no idea so um i'm still waiting on all all the that stuff so 
you got to talk to them, but I hope you guys purchase it in droves. Absolutely. You can't go wrong with it. It's, it's really great. And um, so again, yeah, top line item, this is it for your lifetime membership uh, to Tony's training, the Tri-C, you've got 24 hours. So that you've got to jump on. Of course, there's other different options all on Tony's website. We'll have the links below in the description on YouTube. Uh, you can check them out on catchwrestle.com. Uh, we also want to plug some of our friends' schools. So we have uh, Jason Bender School, Bender's Martial Arts and Fitness, up on Andersonville in the Chicagoland area. Uh, he does uh, Carl, uh, Carlson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, he has judo there, uh, great judo program. They have like three or four black belts that train regularly there for judo. Um, he does striking as well. Uh, if you're looking for Muay Thai-specific training, um, not too far, a little bit farther south is um, – uh, Rick Solo's Akai Academy. So he trains authentic Muay Thai training. He's been to Thailand several dozen times. Uh, basically his whole life, his whole adult life has been committed to furthering the art and, and spreading it in the United States. He's a great resource. And so take advantage of that. If you're looking for that, uh, if you're a Nogi jujitsu guy, our good friend, John Pacini at 10th planet, Chicago, uh, Josh, Josh. Oh, sorry. Senior moment. I'll have those more and more as, as the podcast continues. Um, so Josh Passini, um, yeah, up on the northwest side of Chicago. Seek him out. Great guy. Great group of guys. And our good friend uh, Javier Palomo trains there. So you get to meet Javi if you train at uh, Josh's gym. Um, let's see. What else? I think that about covers it. Oh, also our membership site. So at a minimum, if you're enjoying these podcasts, if you're enjoying our, the free content we would provide on our YouTube channel, uh, you know, the minimum you can do is join our, our monthly membership program. There's two levels, one level where we produce, you know, regular new video content, you know, um, so that you can get access to that, that is not available for download any other way. Um, but if you just want to give us a thank you and give us a shout out, uh, the best way you can do that is the $5 a month at a minimum, you can do that and, uh, just show your support for the cause and supporting what Tony does and what he teaches. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Thanks, and uh, hopefully when things change uh, here domestically, so in the spring or, or maybe probably just closer to the summer, you know, I, I want to be able to you know start teaching as well out of you know Bender's place as well as uh, Josh, uh, maybe doing privates, uh, doing seminars for sure. I would hope back to that monthly stuff. Um, we got to get we got to get it cranking and get it get it rolling. Otherwise, it's that's it. Forget about it. So, but most of it contingent is contingent on the success of the BJJ Fanatics video. So, if that is a success, then that'll keep me going. If it's not a success, then it'll probably that'll be it. And and once I make the de- decision to give it up, I'll give up everything, including the podcast. Uh, taking the website down and all of that jazz. I'll just keep training the Tri-C guys and, and, and that'll be it. But uh, I'm getting too old. Like I told somebody, I'm not going to end up homeless for people, you know, um, but really jump on at least the $10 a month of membership. There's just, yeah, there is. That's a, that's, that's a steal. So, uh, well, let's introduce, huh? I was going to say, actually, it's kind of a segue to introducing Dwayne. I saying, Tony, you know, you know, you don't have to worry about being homeless. There's always room on Dwayne's couch. uh, If I can. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And that's cool because I got this nice camera now. See, I brought it upstairs today so I can we can even do this from Dwayne's couch. 
That'd be kind of nice. Yep. Where do you live? What, what part of the city? Or where do you Rod, live? Rogers Park. Oh, you're way north. You're, yeah. you're as north as it gets. Yeah, up by Evanston. Yep. Yeah. Just south yep. of yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah, people may remember yeah. Dwayne. He was on the podcast when I came back from the, the outdoor survival skills class. Dwayne did the two weeks with me where we, uh, we, he was my buddy there, made, uh, kept me company when I was alone in the woods. Podcast just went broke, broke back mountain uh, for a second there. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. No. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No. But yeah, um, um, but gosh, we've known each other since the early nineties. Yeah, back back when your hair was darker, I think. When it, yeah, when I had darker and more hair. Yeah, and it wasn't so much of myself. Uh, <laughs> yes, we've been friends for a long time. Good friends, actually. Yep. But but um, yeah, I'm hoping to have you in on the podcast a little bit more. I think that'll be a lot of fun. And actually, I, I, this well, kind of segues to something. You sent me a video, Dwayne. You're always sending me stuff. So you sent me a video of um, Will Chamberlain, uh, you know, legendary basketball player, but they showed him doing all these other athletic feats. So they showed him doing the high jump, um, lifting huge amounts of weights. I can, I'm trying to think all the things they showed on this, um, but they really showed his, his range of athleticism and strength. So he wasn't just, just a really tall guy, you know, who, who <laughs> you know, could play basketball. He, he really seemed mm. really a lot more well-rounded and, and physically powerful uh, than I was aware of. But then I actually had a flashback because my, my uncle, who was a big Chamberlain fan, a big basketball fan back in the day, he said that uh, Chamberlain could like grab a basketball and just explode it in his hands, you know, um, and just raw power. And so I guess this kind of segues to a question I asked Dwayne earlier via text, but I'm going to put it to uh, Tony and Brian is uh, in a hypothetical match off. Will Chamberlain versus Jim Brown in a fight? Who wins? You're going to ask me. I don't. I I don't buy all this Will Chamberlain being super strong stuff. I don't. I, so, I. I I'm a doubting Thomas. I don't believe it. So I mean, I think he was the best basketball player. He was terrific. But this exploding basketballs with his hands, I'm calling bullshit 100 on that. Um, just sleeping with 20,000 women, I think he said, or 10,000 women. I'm calling bullshit on that. Um, yeah, I, but I do know that he was a good athlete, but so was Jim Brown. He was arguably one of the greatest lacrosse players of all time. The greatest, you know, running back in the NFL of all time. Um, but fighting is, you know, I don't know how many, how much, uh, you know, but I would, I don't know, I'd go with Jim Brown because, you know, he he's used to contact. I don't know how much contact uh, Will Chamberlain was used to. Well, 20,000 at least, right? Yeah. yeah well, all right. <laughs> Tony, I'm so yeah. proud of you as a Cleveland boy. You didn't default to Jim Brown at the snap of a hat, you know. Right. That's, that's, no, you, I just don't, you know, you I like don't believe the story. to get there, but you got there. Yeah. All right. I don't believe the stories. I don't, I don't believe the stories, you know, now this is a new one on me, just, you know, smashing a basketball. No way. I'm not buying that. I'll, I'll never believe that. Um, unless it was a gimmick, um, you know, gimmick basketball, because to do that, um, would be unprecedented. 
All right. I, I don't believe it's ever been done because, I mean, I used to do that with side headlocks, but now you're talking about using my arms, using the whole body, my body weight, and I never got it to, to blow up. Um, but yeah, I don't, I think a lot of it is myth with, with uh, Chamberlain, but I think he was absolutely phenomenal. But they do the same thing with Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was a phenomenal athlete for his size and martial art ability you know was phenomenal but you know it's taken a life of its own you know we've discussed this once before i've heard you know ridiculous amounts of weight that he was you know supposedly lifting and you know i'm i just don't believe any of that let me interject um if i'm chopping up oh we lost let me know i can my connection yeah you're chopping up a little bit chamberlain if you recall was a harlem globetrotter okay he was with the globetrotters so the theatrics um, early on, he gets it. So who knows if that, you know, there's some of that he can continue in his career. Just a thought. Yeah. 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 Very, very possible, you know, uh, and I'm a big, actually, I'm a big Will Chamberlain fan. Uh, I used to get into arguments that Will Chamberlain was a better basketball player and a better athlete than Michael Jordan. And I still stand behind that. Um, You know, the things that Chamberlain did, forget the hundred point game, but just averaging 50 points a game for a season. And I think he did like rebounds the same way. Um, and of course, everybody falls back on the, 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 he was physically more dominant or he didn't win that many championships and, you know, the, the same old, same old, you know, um, but I, I, I was a big Will Chamberlain fan. Many people may not know this, but I believe it was in the late 70s or mid-70s or something. Um, Will Chamberlain was thinking about making a comeback in the NBA. And his team of choice was the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was going to make a comeback with the Cavs. But it obviously never happened. I know that he was playing volleyball, and he supposedly was very good at volleyball. Um, But – yeah, that's a good question, though, Joe. It's a question that we'll never know. But uh, yeah. Jim Jim Brown was a rough guy. But one of the things that Jim Brown did say that he regrets in his life was that he never blocked enough, okay? That's his biggest – people knock him for that, you know. Um, uh, but remember this. He never missed a game, I don't believe. I think so. Nope. So he, he, was, he was hard as nails. Yeah, I think that durability factor goes a long way because there's a lot of, you know, obviously being a Chicago guy, I love Gail Sayers. I think he's awesome to watch, beautiful to watch his runs. You know, yeah. I can, I, you know, actually Dwayne and I, I did a him. lot of running back uh, videos back and forth. Uh, but, you know, he got injured, you know, it, it, that cut his career short. Okay, I'm going to let Brian back in. Um, and that that goes to it, you know, I mean, part of, putting those numbers up and, and achieving a football is the durability, the, the ability to take those hits and not get injured. You know, uh, that's an important quality. Well, I remember there, I saw a posed photo of uh, Will Chamberlain and Muhammad Ali, right. With Chamberlain's arms stuck way out. And they were speculating of, of a fight between the two of them. I would assume it would have been basically an exhibition match. Um, but, you know, Neither, you know, talking about Jim Brown and, and Chamberlain, I mean, neither one of them were, were trained fighters. So, you know, it's kind of up in the air. But um, 
if Chamberlain would stick his jab out there and keep somebody off, keep him away, that's one thing. Um, but I don't know just how fast Chamberlain, how quick Chamberlain was. Okay, uh, it's 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 hard to get a seven foot frame moving quickly quickly. Whereas Jim Brown was what six two, uh, something like that, and he was quick. So um, yeah, it, it would be. Well, there's no way we're going to ever know. <laughs> well, yeah. I get that Jim way. Brown. I chose Sorry Jim to interject. Brown too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I do too. If you recall, uh, uh, he was actually a color commentator at the first UFC. Yeah. Um, him, and, him and Superfoot Bill Wallace, and he's quoted as saying, what we've learned tonight is fighting is not what we thought it was, essentially at the conclusion of, um, which I think to a certain extent, you know, rings true. For sure. And what was demonstrated I, uh, in that first uh I used to have people ask me about actors, you know, which actor, who would win in a fight, you know, this guy against that guy. And you know, it's it's all it's nothing to get angry over because unless unless the guys were actual actually sparred or actually fought, um, you know, it's just who knows? You know, like Clint Eastwood against Charles Bronson, you know, shit like that. Um, Bronson, that's easy. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I'm just going by who I like best, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I get you. You know, I you didn't hear this, Dwayne, but when he was making the movie Hard Times, I think it was the producer or the director or something said um, they had to limit the scenes to about 45 seconds. Because that's all the gas that Charles Bronson had. While he looked great, he was cut, he was lean, he was he just didn't have any cardiovascular because mm. he was a smoker, a bad, bad smoker. So mm-hmm. knowing that, um, you know, he, he's not gonna do well in a fight because of that, you know, if you know that and you can just avoid him for a little while. But skill wise, I would say he's technically a better fighter than um Clint Eastwood, but Eastwood's six foot three. You know, again, he's got the reach, the height advantage. Well, I, know, the question uh, also too is like, what time in Bronson's life? Because probably in his twenties, the smoking hadn't caught up with him yet. You know, because hard times, he was a little bit older, right? Probably more yeah. middle aged. So, because actually, if you watch some of the earlier Bronson films, he was pretty jacked. He was pretty ripped. Yeah, for, yeah like I mean, he looked really built. Um, mm-hmm. So early on, uh, yeah, I, I think it's was easy that he would have because i don't think uh, uh eastwood did any kind of athletics to my knowledge well he's there's an age difference too i don't remember i don't know how old i i would think bronson's probably at least 15 years older um so you'd have to factor that in but uh so like a 20 year old bronson against a five-year-old clint eastwood <laughs> yeah right bronson. well you know clint eastwood was probably taller than him at five years old so he probably still had the height advantage. Now, you know, can, yeah. can, can Clint Eastwood use Clyde in the fight? <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, in that one movie, uh, William Smith, not Will Smith, but William Smith, who passed away about a year or so ago, uh, he's another legendary uh, strongman, bodybuilder, tough guy, uh, CIA, airborne, you know, uh, army guy, whatever. Uh so he has a rep or had, he passed away. He had a reputation of being extraordinarily tough. 
you know, um, arm wrestling champion, uh, did some amateur boxing, was some martial art champion, I think. Uh, yeah, so uh, he was always built. As a matter of fact, I just saw an episode of, of something the other day, and he was in it. Uh, and he was probably in his 40s, but still had that bodybuilder build. You know, not gigantic, but, um, you know, looked like he could move. But, again, I've never, I mean, who knows? I, one thing I did, I do know about movies is they, they can make, they can make almost anybody look really good, you know? Um, but that's not saying that Will Smith, William Smith wasn't, wasn't good. Um, he very well may have been, I don't know, but he has a reputation or had a reputation. Hmm, yeah. I don't think I know who he is. I'd have to, no. uh, you would, if you up. saw him, you he was in a lot of television episodes and movies, sixties and seventies. He was, on a couple magazine covers in the 60s, bodybuilding. Um, he claimed to have had the world record for the reverse curl, um, which I saw in a later interview was, he may have held the record, but it was like exaggerated the poundage. He was kind of honest about it. And then they said he was a world champion arm wrestler, which I, again, I don't, I didn't, I don't look into this. I don't know, but he was very built and he, he had it. He had that hard ass, almost like a Charles Bronson kind of persona. Okay. Um, but he was bigger, uh, you know, quite a lot bigger than Charles Bronson. Um, yeah. I just, look him up. I just looked him up on, on wiki and uh, it was pretty interesting. He just passed away on July 5th of last year. Um, decade career spanning 75 years. He was actually a child actor and then he did go into the air force and then was, you know, purportedly involved with some, you know, secret missions and then got back yeah. into acting uh, once he got out. So, yeah, a lot of like Hawaii Five-0 and just Six Million Dollar Man. I'm sure that if, if you watch TV in the 70s, or early 80s, I'm sure you would have come across him at some point. But, yeah, it seemed like a pretty, uh, pretty tough cookie. He was a regular on the last season or the last two seasons of Hawaii Five-0. Um, but, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I don't get into the hype too much because you know hollywood is a lot like professional wrestling where you know they they make up biographies and they and they enhance or augment things um so sometimes the stories are true but the majority of the times you know it's it's part of the publicity or the you know um public relations the pr guys get behind it and start running with it Oh, you know, that's no, I want to, let me just add something on that note. So you guys don't know anything about what I'm about to say, but um, about 30 years ago, I wasn't in Chicago that long. So there used to be a a real famous accordionist named Anthony Gallarini. Okay. And uh, he came into Chicago and they arranged for me to pick him up at the airport. So anyway, I had one of his method books. I still have it. When I picked up Gallerini, he was right around 100 years old. Okay. He, he lived to be like 101, 102, 103. Little guy. But anyway, I had the book. And I was going to have him autograph it. But anyhow, in the book, which was published in probably 1920-something, this is important to the story. Um, it 
gave his biography about him being born in Italy and, you know, the whole story about him coming over here and immigrating to America and what he faced. So when he's in my car, I asked him about that. He's like, man, I was born in San Francisco. (laughs) It's all bullshit. He's like, they just made that up. So, you know, the reason I bring that up is a hundred years ago, they were, they were making stuff off that just, you know, it just wasn't, it's all about marketing, you know, even back then. Um, Probably the same thing with Charles Atlas or even to an extent, Jack LaLanne, you know, there's probably things about these guys that, you know, are exaggerated or just, you know, but Gallerini, yeah, right off, right out of, out of the shoots. No, man, none of that's true. <laughs> it's all, I was born in America. I think he said he was born in San Francisco or San Jose, something like that. Yeah, it's no wonder everybody's cynical nowadays. No one trusts anything. You know, the more the more you pay attention, the more you find out. It just seems like everything's got a little bit of a distortion or a spin on it, you know. Well, the you know, we're the, the pro wrestling world has always been like that. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time when it hasn't. Um, and probably boxing back then too. You know, uh they strong men. From the 1800s, you know, most of that was, you know, uh, either outright fake or, uh, again, totally exaggerated. Just, I mean, it's part of the way the world operates, and it always has. And and it's not just limited to those sports or those activities. You know, probably the literary world, same thing. Um, I mean, look at people who, you know, authors who write under pen names and stuff and, and, and their characters have an identity, you know, and it's all just to, to, to garner interest in their product. So it's not a new phenomenon. It's not something that's just happening recently. It's always been that way. And I would add that it's happened um, in all genres. I mean, we're looking at music. I mean, I live in Milwaukee and, Eric Benet was a Grammy winner and, you know, he built his career essentially when he left town because he couldn't get the love locally. And I've heard that about like, if you follow Nelly, you know, and the, the rapper in St. Louis and once he left town, he was a big deal, but his hometown crowd just didn't appreciate him. And how many martial arts we think about it, you know, even well, what we do, Tony is the mystique of the Eastern martial arts, you know, and, and the, uh, the deadliness of these exotic things from faraway locales, whereas, you know, you could have learned American boxing or wrestling and been pretty tough guy, you know what I mean? Or possibly even more effective. So I think it's just something that all humans probably have some level of like something that is outside their proximity, you know, maybe has more value or is a little something new or different than, than what you can find nearby. You know what I mean? They, they did that with American wrestling back in the, you know, turn of the 19th, turn of the 20th century, you know, the Japanese, arm bar or the, the, the Japanese leg lock, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it was, these are techniques that the wrestlers knew they've been around forever. Uh, you know, back then, uh, Asia was a pretty much a closed society. Uh, so they used it as a mark, like you just said, Brian, as the, the exotic far East, um, you know, yeah, it's just the way it is. And now, nowadays, you try to tell people, well, that really wasn't true. Uh, it was exaggerated or this or that. 
And then they call you a hater right away. Well, you're not a hater. If you're telling the truth, you're just trying to explain stuff to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to know a lot of stories from like Radvan or Luthez of guys that were stories, you know, that I heard growing up and they're like, no, none of the, it's, that's all, you know, um, kayfabe, you know, it's just all part of the bullshit. You know, it's not true. Um, So you you just have to kind of, I eventually got sick of all of it. I walked away from all of that jazz. I was like, I don't want to hear anymore, you know, because it's just not productive. Hey, once that kind of leads me into one story. I was thinking about that. You told that you got some kind of, I think, firsthand witness confirmation on was, um, uh, I can't remember. There was a Korean um, Taekwondo master in Cleveland that you talk about um, that on the day that he got his citizenship he was in some bar drinking and basically some some bikers in there started you know getting racist with him and 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 being assholes and he basically cleared the bar out and um yeah uh and uh master kim i believe it was now you caught me off guard and you know me with my memory with the names um he was on the west side i only met him once i was young and he was big um, he was not only a Taekwondo, a Hapkido, whatever, he was on the, I believe the 1964, um, Korean judo Olympic team. Okay. He was a badass. So yeah, he went out celebrating the day of his citizenship, you know, basically I'm an American, you know, and they, they kept, you know, doing, you're a, you're, you're this or that. No, I'm an American. And, uh, yeah, the bartender, yep. Uh, as the one who was there and told me the whole thing, uh, he, he, he clobbered these guys. I mean, he said it was like something out of a movie. Um, and sadly he got into a serious auto wreck and I lost his memory, lost everything except his knowledge of, he would remember things about the martial arts, but, um, he was never the same again. Uh, and I did not know the man personally. Like I said, I only went to his, uh, school one time cause I wanted to buy some nunchucks. And, um, you know, he just was a hard ass, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's a shame. But the, the reason, one of the reasons I was thinking about that story is, and I kind of, cause I remember your description about it and granted, this is just kind of, I don't know if the, the phrasing was precise at the time, but I thought the describes that he was throwing guys around. Oh yeah. And, kind of, and so, um, you know, that kind of made me think about takedowns and throws and things like that. And, their uses in kind of a self-defense context. So, you know, if you're dealing with multiple people, like it seems like he was, um, you know, if you're sport training or you're training, I guess there's different ways to approach takedowns, I guess is my question. I kind of want your, your thoughts on it. And I'm, I'm trying to formulate a question here, but obviously if you're drilling only to take someone down to pin or achieve a hold down and, or then get a submission. So if your main drive is to, take a person down and then control them. So you're going down with them as opposed to throwing them, maybe throwing them off of you, you know, um, like is, is there value or do you think to spend time on your takedown training to actually spend literally just throwing people to the ground, but staying up. So, you know, you're using, you're, you're using your, your takedown skills to hit them to the ground, but remain on your feet to continue fighting. Well, yeah, but it's easier said than done. I mean, you know, um, you watch any, high-level judo, high-level wrestling where they're throwing. Um, 
you know, you don't always stand up, you know, you end up on the ground many times as well. Uh, it's just the way it is with inertia. If the guy's pulling on you and so on. Um, but in theory, uh, yeah, you know, this is something that, you know, you need to practice, but, um, we were talking about, we're not going to mention who, cause I don't even know the guy, but before we started filming, um, you can never paint with a broad brush. You know, that's just like saying, always throw a jab. Well, sometimes you may not be able to, or your right hand may not work. You know, uh, you might not be able to throw that right cross. Um, but these are all tools that have to be in your arsenal. But I never, personally now, this is just me. I never have any preconceived ideas of what I'm going to do in a street fight or, a, you, know, a, a, you know, a pure encounter. I don't know. You know, it, it depends on the energy. It depends on what the guy's giving me. All I know in my mind is I want the easiest. I want the path of least resistance. So that may be knocking him out with my, my hands or feet. That may be taking him down, or that may be trying to do some sort of a throw. Now, I am not a great big giant thrower, okay? I do the hip toss, headlock throw, shit like that. Um, I am by no means, you know, throwing is one of the things that I just – don't really focus on as much as others. Um, and partly is because it, it bothers me. It hurts my back a lot, any kind of back arch and even sometimes bending forward. I have to be really careful um, because especially in a fight, because if my back goes out and I'm going to talk about a story of, in a minute about that, if my back goes out, that's it. Okay. I'm done. So um You've got to, you know, you've got to just flow with that. Now, there was a guy that I knew back in Cleveland. I showed you some pictures. I showed you and Brian uh, some pictures of him, me and him. He showed me some boxing, too, and all that. Nick the Russian. Um, hmm. Nick was an older man. He was right around my grandfather's age, you know, maybe just a few years younger, five years younger. Um, but Nick was a fighter till the very end. Okay. He always loved to fight. Nick by trade was a iron worker. So one time we're at the playoff, him and I are hanging out and uh, I'm probably 19, 20. And there was this little sawed off runt. Um, and him and Nick just didn't get along. Nick just points to the door, you know, smiling, let's go. So like, you know, we all stay out of it. You know, about two minutes later, somebody else comes in and like, man, Nick's, Nick's got his ass kicked. He's on the ground, man. He's all in, he's in trouble. And now what, cause Nick had a very bad back. And this other guy was not a fighter at all. Nick was, but apparently they went outside and, you know, Nick went to do something, throw a punch. I think it was even because Nick wasn't a wrestler and his back went out and that was it. I mean, and Nick went straight down without getting hit, just, you know, down. And this guy just put the boots to him. You know, the guy didn't know how to fight. He's stomping out of the shit. Um, so when you have injuries or you're pro not even an uh, active injury, but when you know that you have a problem, you know, you want to try to avoid aggravating it as much as possible. So, um, you know, and, and I made a video years ago and I discuss back pain issues in it. Uh, and I've known a lot of guys who've had back pain issues. And that's one thing, no matter, you can, you can disagree on every subject in the world, but when it comes to your back pain, it's like a community, you know, we're all tight because we know how crippling that can be. 
So um, it costs Nick, you know, well, Nick didn't get injured, but he just got, you know, stomped on a little bit. He was back in action the next day. But <laughs> so for me, yeah, I, I would, I would say throws are, are, are very good. I, I, there is literally nothing wrong with throwing. Just like there's nothing wrong with, you know, punching and kicking. It's just not for everybody, but uh, yeah, master Kim was, uh, he was throwing guys. Of course, he was a judo man, but he was also kicking. He was like a free-for-all, you know. Um, he did good. He did real good. I want to <laughs> chime in on something, too. And keep in mind, he's coming from an era, you know, Vietnam era, Taekwondo, you know, basically 50 years ago, which I don't want to say is bygone because I can't speak to how they train in Korea now, but much different than what you would expect with Taekwondo in your average school in America. So that in and of itself puts him in a different position or what people should understand about what that is. I mean, the guy I trained under master Chung on Kim in uh, back in Iowa, where I grew up, you know, he was a Republican Republic of Korea, Marine uh, hand-to-hand combat instructor in the Vietnam era. And, you know, and he, but what he was teaching was not reflective of that kind of mentality or techniques that, you know, one would, one would need. And, you know, and I even asked him, I said, well, you know, some of these techniques that do you ever show any of them? He's like, no, not really. And so it was, um, I would think you should, but um, he doesn't. So, you know, that was obviously his choice. He's, he's passed on now, but um, different time, different era back then, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you know, Cleveland had the world's for or America's first karate world champion, I believe, Al Jean Karulia. Um, You can look him up. Uh, and I believe I never met him. Uh, I believe his dojo was on the, again, on the West side. Uh, the West side was nice. Okay. I was an East sider. We, we had the crime. We had the, it was really bad. So, um, these places tended to not be on the East side of Cleveland. All the nicer, you know, established was, was on, on on the West side, um, or, you know, somewhere far out. Um, but, uh, so yeah, Al Jean was the was the first, uh, uh, I believe, American World Karate Champion out, out of Cleveland. But I know nothing more about him. Um, as I said, I never got to meet him. I don't know even what style he taught. I was going to just chime in with a historical footnote: is that a lot of people don't know, but um, I think outside of Americans during the Vietnam War, I think the South Koreans were like the largest non-Vietnamese military presence like because they were our allies so there were there were large presence of them assisting us uh with um you know their service members during the war yeah interesting i knew a couple of well i knew not a couple i knew many many um american vietnam veterans you know uh of course you know i belong to a lot of the well i i quit now but i i belong to a lot of uh um, military, you know, organizations, American Legion, um, VFW, PLAVs, um, you know, things like that. I just don't, I don't go anywhere anymore. I can't, can't go anywhere. So it's, you know, I don't, I don't get to belong and support them, but yeah, there's a lot of Vietnam guys still. Um, but when I was a kid, my grandfather used to take me to the AMVETS and places like that. Um, where there was all World War II guys, you know, uh, and that, that was very interesting to listen to them talk about their times. 
Yeah, and there's not many around anymore that you can get first-hand stories from. No, I mean, there's still some Koreans, Korean, Korea, Korean war vets. You know, I know a few of them They're but they're even um, in their eighties, you know, uh, and older pro pushing 90. Um, you know, it's uh, yeah. I had an uncle, a great uncle, actually, he was a world war one vet, but he fought for the other side. You know, uh, he was, uh, um, I don't know, somehow or another, he was Polish, actually, and he got um, the Germans, he had to fight for for them, you know, I don't know how that worked, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I remember, <clears throat> wasn't that long ago, guys, where, when the last World War One veteran died, seems like it was maybe 10 years ago or something, maybe less, Same I mean, I, I, I remember meeting a Spanish-American war veteran when I was a little kid. You know, yeah. There's actually you can find it on YouTube, but there actually was a march of Civil War veterans that was they were survived. Obviously, they're very old, but the handful of them. But there's actual video of them marching in a parade. You know, which is amazing to me that people who had you know been around when Lincoln was president, you know, marching uh, and being videotaped. It's, it's it's pretty amazing. And actually, there's also a videotape. And again, I don't know if uh, to your to, to the beginning of the podcast is this bullshit or not. But there was, I think there's audio recording and photographs of uh, a kid who was president or who was present during uh, Lincoln's assassination. So he described what he heard and saw. You know, that moment he was brought to he was as a kid he was at Ford's Theater, and they have the, his his interviews and things. So. It's kind of amazing how it seems like it was almost like ain't so ancient, but really, I mean, it's within a, a lifetime or two, you know, where the overlap is. Yeah. Right. Really, no, well, yeah. no, I mean, it probably wasn't. Um, but then there was a lot of other little war, not little wars. I don't want to say it. That's not what I meant, but less publicized wars, I guess you'd say, uh, where there was American veterans that were, um, involved in these things, you know, in Indochina or, or where have you that I vaguely remember them discussing this when I was young. Um, and these would be incidents that happened probably in the 1920s uh, or so after World War I, uh, but before World War II. And these were gentlemen that were um, older than my grandfather, uh, you know, but um, not so maybe like 70 at the time, maybe 75, 80 years old. Um, so yeah, I- interesting. Um, <laughs> he reminds me of a joke. I saw a Walter Matthau movie where he was on the phone. It might've been where he was with Robin Williams. Was that survivors? I don't remember if you guys saw that, but he's on the phone with someone and he's talking about his military history. And you're like, yeah, I was in the war. I was in the big one. Yeah. Korea. And then there's a, there's a pause. And he's like, what was big to me? well you know about that movie survivors that's a good one classic i never heard of it but i i mean i'm i mean i was raised with the world war ii guys you know my grandparents and all their friends and everybody was in world war ii um so that was drilled into my head uh and so uh and I met, well, of course, you know, Rod Vaughn was in a concentration camp. Uh, Mr. Scully, who was uh, 
his wife was our uh, librarian at my grade school. And um, he was also a plumber. So he would do our plumbing. He was a German. He was American, but he was in a German POW camp. Um, And yeah, just, you know, you meet a lot of guys that, you know, back then that, uh, no, all, it seemed all of them were World War II. And then, then there were a few that were Korea, Korean War. Uh, bear in mind that the Vietnam veterans, um, this is weird to say, but they were very young when, you know, like when I was a kid, some of them may not even have been old enough to be my father. Okay. Some were, but some weren't, you know, or they would have been, you know, on the cusp. So, you know, like when I was 10, they might be 30 or 29 or 28, you know. Um, so I didn't run into their circles too often. It wasn't until I got a little older uh, that I met them, you know, when I was already like maybe in my 20s, except for a couple that I met. One sadly committed suicide um, when I was about 16 or so. Uh, he was messed up pretty bad, obviously. He just had problems. But uh, he did some martial arts. He did Bondo, as a matter of fact. Um, but, yeah. How did we get on a subject of war? Uh-huh. I think Will Chamberlain, if I remember correctly. I, I don't know. <laughs> so your uncle told you that he deflated a basketball with his I'm gonna I'm going to call my uncle out on that. Say, did you see it? Did you see it? Yeah, I'm, because he, no, even if he did, it's probably fake. Oh, no, I know. Um, Not going to happen in my lifetime. Do you think Rod Vaughn could have done it? I that would not like this. Not how do you do it? Like I don't know. He probably could have deflated it somewhat, but because uh, I know he crushed the guy's skull like that. But that's easy. now you're to, yeah. Well, but now you're putting <laughs> you're putting Chamberlain into his category, and that's not going to happen. Okay, uh, Rod Vaughn was. Well, I guess my first thing is: is it humanly possible? Because obviously, Rod Vaughn's at the extreme of that that yeah bell curve of the hand strength, you know. So. Uh, if you're bending quarters, I'm, I'm just imagining he just, you know, whatever puts in his well, hand is. Let, let's talk physics. All right. So if you're going to do it, the, the, the ball has to be doctored up. Okay. So it has to be overinflated for one. You, you have to inflate it. Probably, uh, you, you know, you'd have to have a measurement and know just how much it takes to blow it up and then inflate it to where it's just under that. Okay. So if, if that is the way it was done, if it's even possible, then it doesn't have its effectiveness. But I, you know, if it's just a regular regulation, um, uh, uh, you know, amount of air, I, I just don't, I don't see that that's possible. Not, at least not by him. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm not going to argue with it. I'd like this. I had never heard it. I never heard that claim made. I will do my research and report back. I'm trying to think of the stuff that was in the video that we had that Dwayne sent me because he was definitely doing like I forget what was his vertical like fifty, 50 inches. inches. Yeah. So that's some and powerful. He, I, he was the big eight high jump champ too, and they they they, they showed him like a fifty foot shot put and fifty uh, something inches in the triple jump. But yeah, he was so he was not just a and a nine eight hundred yard dash. 
Wow. Yeah. And I was trying to think, cause I, I'm trying to think if they showed the amount of weight he was lifting too. I don't know if he was benching or what he was doing. You know, I don't, I don't think, I yeah. can't, I, like I said, I just have vague memories now. I, I probably should have watched it before I started the podcast, <laughs> just to, uh, but um, it was just interesting because I forgot how athletic he was. And then the idea of reach and just because he is, you know, obviously kind of like to me in his, in his, athletic field he is kind of the jim brown right you know and so that's why the matchup came to me just you know kind of one of these as uh Duane and i've talked about like what happens when a bear fights a tiger kind of like a pointless question but it's just kind of fun to think about you know because I, I i forgot how strong he was maybe he wasn't maybe his strength was exaggerated but he was a strong guy and uh apparently very quick too so um so is he still with us or did he pass away no no, yeah, he, he passed, passed away him. a long time ago. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, he didn't live yeah. that long. Um, I think he was in his 60s when he died. Wow. Um, well, I you think, know. I think I the better matchup. That... Oh, go oh, ahead, Dwayne. No, I was going to say, I think the better matchup would be Wilt versus Kareem. Oh, Wilt. It's got to be. Yeah. But, now, Kareem did train, right? Exactly. That's yeah. what I was saying. So he is a trained fighter, right? I, at least in the game of death, I saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll go with Will Chamberlain on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I'm sorry. sorry. People sorry, don't know Brian, that, but he's also you know. a pilot. At least I saw him. No, I was just saying uh, physics is a huge thing, and I'm not belittling any of these, you know, world-class athletes we're talking about. But, you know, if somebody's seven foot tall, there's certain things they can do from a um, physical standpoint that somebody who's five, three cannot, you know, I had a conversation with a guy who was a competitive strong man. He's a, he's a stout guy. He's actually older, but he's got something coming up this, you know, this summer he's doing and he's been training for a while and certain, you know, certain types of um, like the stone carry works better for guys with longer arms than him. Um, there's another one where you launch a, a sandbag above your head, like behind for height. Obviously, if you're five foot, or if you're seven foot, you got a little different advantage if you're same strength. You know what I mean? So I do think that comes into play. And I think, Tony, you've even touched on that with like the captains of crush um, yeah, things. If you got bigger hands or, you, you know, longer fingers, you're going to be able to squeeze those things. The iron mine metal um, grippers we're talking about that you squeeze. Um, so th- that does play into some of how you can execute, I would say, certain things. Oh, for sure. Like if your arms are well, shorter, you can bench better. Or if your longer arms, yeah. you know, tends to be your lift. They, you guys remember the playpen. So they, uh, I was in there one night with Kevin. This is back when I was pulling arm wrestling everybody in town and shit. So they brought in some guy. It was a rig setup. I couldn't arm wrestle. I literally couldn't do it because he was seven foot tall. He, he was seven foot. So my, this was a discrepancy of our hands. I couldn't get my arm up there. You know, he'd ha- he had to tilt it like this for me to grab it. So that there's just no way that I, I you, you know, um, I, I said, I can't, I'm not going to even try this because it's going to be some bullshit. It's going to lead into me, you know, it's going to get, it's going to be a bad situation. So, um, you know, I, I don't know how strong this guy was, but again, how do you, you know, when you can't even match up, I got to ask you, Tony, there was a, a guy I met who was, a, you know, a, it was called No Holds Barred. We met him. He used to train with Bob Shermer, I believe. And I know you said you had beat him in an arm wrestling. The guy was very cool. He actually came in to train at this one die shop. Um, 
good good personality. This is following your matchup with him on the arm wrestling. Do you remember where that happened or who I'm yeah. talking about? Where, where yeah, was not, that? I, I, I didn't know arm wrestle was just him. It was his whole crew. Uh, right. Yeah, it was at a bowling alley in Hoffman Estates. I went with Barbie. I was dating her at the time and it was Kevin and his wife and some of my guys. And uh, we went to watch a UFC event. That's where they were all at. You know, everybody went there to see, you know, a UFC thing. And he was a big jacked bodybuilder. You know, um, he was, you know, huge. I don't remember his name. But yeah, I well, oh, I I always remember that story because uh, Kevin and I used to talk about that a lot. I didn't know you knew about that. Yeah, I was I wasn't there, and I know exactly where you're talking about because keep in bear in mind, you know, Dwayne Joe, you probably remember this era. Like watching the UFC was, hard. I mean, it wasn't on pay per view at the time, or had been off mm-hmm. for a while. You had to basically find a bar that was carrying it via this particular satellite server or carrier. And there was maybe half a dozen of the whole Chicago area that, that even carried it at the time. So, yeah, I, I remember going to that place, not at that particular night, but I met the guy and you mentioned, and I think there was a moment where you were slightly behind and Kevin was like, you know, come on, Tony, or, you know, something. And it like took you over the top, uh, no pun intended from the Stallone movie here, but and you were able to smoke them. But that's just all I remember from hearing on that story. But very cool. Well, they, yeah, they had an attitude. And then I saw the guy about a week later at an at actual fight fight. And he was mm-hmm. really cool. He's like, man, my yeah, that's when I, I was with you then yeah. I was with you. He yeah. Was like, yeah. Hey, how you doing? And he even came to the pool and die shop and trained. And, uh, yeah. Well, the thing is yeah. they pulled me, they stretched me over the bar. I mean, over the, uh, we were at a table, so they stretched me. Okay. That's what happened. So I literally had to curl the guy and now left-handed. I just put these guys down quickly, but the right hand. Yeah. I had a curl and get him back down. Um, and why why the left hand? Because you're, you're stronger? Or I'm just mean? stronger with the left okay. hand. Yeah, well, don't forget, when I had that aneurysm, I was, my whole right side was paralyzed. So I, I, never, I never got that kind of strength back. But part of the thing, I didn't have a lot of technique back then with the arm wrestling either. You know, I was just using just basically strength. It wasn't until I ran into this 175, 180-pound former world arm wrestling champion in all places, Elmwood Park, who um, showed me the technique behind it. And that was, that was great. Um, but yeah, I remember that. And they started in, they were kind of, they were looking for a fight is what they were looking for. And they were intimidating a couple of the guys that I was tr- training. These were beginners. Matter of fact, I think these guys only had one lesson with me and they invited me out to, to the uh, bowling alley. Um, so I'm like, Hey man, come on. And one of the guys was a state arm wrestling champ part of the guys that guy's entourage um so yeah it was over and over i had to keep going through the you know and if anybody's arm wrestled before you know that that's you know it's hard enough to arm wrestle a good guy once but then you got to immediately follow it up with another guy and another guy that's how you get hurt did you did you challenge them in a row or they i mean how is it you have to wrestle multiple guys one person i'm just saying how did that transpire because they all, when I beat the first guy, the, the muscular guy, then the, the, then the other muscular guy, well, let me try you. It was just one of those things. And once again, you're talking 19, uh, well, I was with Barbie. So this was 1997 and we broke up. So it was either on, in 97 or 98 because her and I broke up in 98. So it was in that time frame. Um, 
you know, it was one of these deals, man. You know, you're coming up to our table, you know, for whatever nefarious reason, at least that's what I'm thinking. Um, I'm not going to back down at all. So it just was, it was like that. And, you know, ironically, you know, Kevin, Kevin's, Kevin was all great about it. You know, Kevin was, but my girlfriend and Kevin's wife was all pissed off at me of all people. Like, like I had something to do with this. I didn't have anything to do with this. You know, what's, what's, you know, all right. It was crazy. So all the way home, they were bitching and shit. So we just dropped them off and Kevin and I went out for some drinks. Where the hell with this, you know, um, cause in stone park at that time, you could drink till six o'clock in the morning, you know, um, and then the bars shut down for an hour and they opened at seven or you could go down the street to the next town and they opened at six. So you could literally drink around the clock, but yeah, that was just, you know, you know, who wants that, you know, who wants that kind of, you know, five, four or five guys. I forgot exactly how many there were, but man. Um, but then, yeah, then afterwards, you know, they, they all respected me and shit and everybody, you know, it was cool. So. I'd like to add to this story. Um, about Tony and his supposedly like weekend right side or whatever. The first time I met you, Tony, was at Joe's house. And I, Joe didn't, it wasn't the, we weren't introduced. I think I just saw you in the living room and me being, I introduced myself to you. And I, I always thought that I had a really good grip. Some people say I gripped too tight. So I went in and you got me and I felt like one of those Bugs Bunny cartoons when we, when we, when you let go, like my hand was swollen. And then I went to Joe, I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> He's like, and, you know, Joe being Joe. I sorry, I didn't tell you, you know, whatever to watch out or whatever. So I, I don't know. I'm calling BS on those weekend right side thing. <laughs> Unless you're doing the whole master Yoda thing. Like you walking around, you sandbagging or whatever. Right. And then you know, you're killing with the right or whatever. You got me. So. Oh, you know, I, I, yeah, I used to work on my grips, you know, and then uh, <laughs> before I blew the arm out, but you know, the thing is, those were good old days. I met, um, I, I, you know, I've met a couple of guys in Chicago that had a good grip. Well, one is John McDonough, Irishman. Some other one was a Polish guy. I don't know his name. Um, but John McDonough has the second best grip I ever, ha- ever ran into next to, you know, of course, Rod Von is number one in the head and shoulders, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I have a bigger hand too. So it's kind of hard for like, even if you have a really good grip, it's hard to grip me because my hand's big. So it's kind of, it's hard to, you, you got to almost grab me by your fingertips and that, that kind of diminishes it. Mm-hmm. And I know because you should know too, Dwayne, cause you have a good grip. If you're going up against somebody with a big thick hand, it's, it's, it's hard yep. to get a hold of it. That's, that's why, that's another reason why I'm calling bullshit on Will Chamberlain, even though his hands are bigger than ours, they're not, you know, a basketball is gigantic. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of these guys that that work the grip, um, the grippers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's their thing. That's what they like to do. I have the grippers. I don't use them. I um, just don't, they don't fit me right. And just a slight variance on these grippers because okay let me let me explain to people who who may not know all of my background so kevin that got killed uh he had the tool and die shop so um when my last gym was above the tool and die shop and kevin and i would work out and all that so i bring that up because kevin could make anything 
Okay. He was just one of those mechanical, you know, that's what he does. So he tapped the bottom of a gripper. Okay. The, the handle, the bottom of the handle, he drilled and tapped. And then he put a piece of metal, the same diameter as the, as the handle of the gripper and screwed it in. And we're talking about, oh, maybe the length of a fingernail. Okay. That's all. And then when I, so when I grabbed on just to that much, I was able to mash those grippers in, you know, to the point of boredom. Okay. Mm. But without that, I struggled to close the gripper because my hand just, you know, it's all about leverage. So that's something that you really have to bear in mind. It's leverage is the key. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like Archimedes says, give me a lever and I'll move the world. So Mm -hmm. uh, not saying that these, now, again, this is not trying to be controversial because these grip guys are very, 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 very strong with their grip. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, if your hand fits the thing, awesome. If it doesn't fit quite right, you're trying to make adjustments. It it may or may not work out. Well, I'll be controversial with the rest of the story is, you know, because what happened is, uh, you know, like I'm not in you guys, your tier, obviously of grip strength, but all the people in the department and the IT department at the hospital, they got some displaced sort of like, uh, (laughs) <laughs> handshakes like yeah i had to like go back and like i, I gotta like grip somebody down now i'm sort of joking <laughs> but i did do that <laughs> I was like, all right i had established myself among the nerds again at, at the top part of the tree or whatever after that day i was like man he got me good but anyway <laughs> i'm sort of joking not completely but <laughs> well i'll say this man i'll like my years of you know tony destroying my hand coming to the tool and die shop you know there there's kind of like you know, you brace for it. So I come up and as he's like, I, I would come up to shake his hand and the only defense is to squeeze is hundred percent. You have to squeeze back, you know, just to, mm-hmm. to survive. And so I would go in and reach and squeeze. And I am now trained. I have to stop myself. I have fucked up people's hands and gotten reactions because I will go in hard. Like they're thinking I'm being a douchebag because like, I'm like, like it's, 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 it's honestly, I'm not trying to crush your hand, but it's like, it's like this reflex. Like I see a hand. It's like, Oh my God. And I, I grip my instinct is to grip hard and crush just to, so, but you're blaming me for this. It's my fault. Absolutely. Well, that's just the beginning of the thing. The issues are caused in my life. Um, but uh yeah for sure absolutely i still i mean just uh, actually a couple of weeks ago same thing someone i hadn't seen a, a long while and i i just reflexively went too hard and i was like and i but then i'm now learning to like i can sense it and i let up you know but it's that that initial reflex of like you know once you've been traumatized it's hard to unlearn that i guess is my thing <laughs> yes you know the first time i ever met my friend scott's stepmom seven years ago or so, you know, uh, I went over to his house and she stuck her hand out. So I just kind of, you know, yeah, I just, so like Scott tells me the next day, he goes, man, you know what happened when I got home? I'm like, what, you know, Meredith, that's his stepmom. Meredith says, what's wrong with Tony? And he goes, what do you mean? She goes, it's like, like, he's like a wimp or something because he doesn't like, I want to shake his hand and 
he doesn't even have a grip. <laughs> and then and Scott started laughing. He's like, are you kidding? <laughs> he's got, he's like, he, everybody in town hates his guts because he crushes everybody's hand. Well, I'm not going to see. That's how a Rodman was. He refused to shake a woman's hand because he had no control over it. He would just mah, all the way in. <laughs> well, me, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to crush a, a little old lady. Come on. Well, hey, you want, you I, might do it, Joe. <laughs> He has done it, apparently. But in the Me Too era, I don't think we should be touching any woman's hand nowadays. Let's just put it that way. Uh, anyway. I was going to say, define crush on an old lady. Oh. <laughs> or on that yeah, note, no, I have to go. Great. It's it's uh, It's been a pleasure. It's great meeting you, Dwayne. I got to head yeah, out. Brian, same. All right. Take care. See you, Brian. Take care. Yeah, we are living in interesting times, different times. You know, I remember back as a kid, you know, getting – not flirted like legitimately but all sorts of compliments from old ladies or an old lady would grab me by the butt this all happened you know uh i'm not the only guy it probably happened to so you know i nowadays yeah you, you got to watch what you do you know I, mm-hmm. I, I i don't know uh i don't have to worry about it right now because i don't get out but uh you know it's uh interesting um but you know strength is something certain strength you know, is, is something that I always admired as a kid, you know, uh, there is an expression, all the world loves a strong man. So it was very important for me to be strong. Um, forget about the fighting, just separate from that. You know, I just wanted to be strong and in this backwards, sometimes backwards world we live in, you know, there's a lot of folks in the martial arts world that, you know, are opposed to that. You know, he's just using strength. You know, it's it's almost like they're trying to make it a dirty word, and it's only a dirty word to them because they don't have it. You know, um, but you know, just I remember I was never super strong as young man, but I was. We, we've talked about this a lot about my speed. I was fast, so I kind of got, um, you know, there was prejudice against me. You know, uh, about that. Oh, he's just fast. You know, if you do this to him, you know, we're not talking fighting. We're just talking you know, football or, you know, whatever sport we were playing where you have to run, you know, he's just fast. He's got, he's not a good athlete. He's just fast. Um, and maybe they're right. You know, I never, I never looked at myself as like a, just Will Chamberlain type of athlete. I just looked at myself as somebody who was, you know, was, was able to run, you know, very rapidly. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, to me, strength is something that I admire in a person. Uh, Physically, as long as it's a natural strength, you know, I don't mean like don't lift weights, but I mean, you know, not drug induced, you know, just naturally, you know, by working out or it's just something that I've always gravitated to the guys that, you know, that were strong. Yeah, it's interesting. Someone not too long ago texted me kind of just a uh, philosophical question about like, you know, it's kind of paraphrasing, but can perfect technique, you know, is there a point where strength can beat perfect technique, you know? Um, and I guess I'd be interested to hear your take. I mean, I would assume so. Yes. You know, there's certain, uh, you know, if someone literally has, yeah, I mean, there's ratios where like a very little kid could have perfect technique and they're never going to be able to put a top wrist lock on me. You know, <laughs> I'm just going to muscle out of whatever they do. They could have it exactly right. And, uh, so there is a limit to everything. And so to be anti-strength is, I mean, basically your fitness and your strength are just two of the dimensions you need 
you don't want to neglect any of those. Why, why, why take that away from yourself? You know, uh, you should be working to develop all those things, including your technique. You know, obviously there's people who just rely solely on strength and that's, there's a risk there, but um, it was just kind of an, like, it was one of those questions where I had to stop and think because I, I, you know, is it basically, is there a limit to certain techniques given the strength? Actually, I was trying to remember what was that guy in, um, not that my technique was perfect, but who's that guy who from Texas who would come out to train with us, the big tall guy? John Cagle. We need to have him on the show, John Cagle. But I could put a full rear naked choke on him and he could just take it. I don't know what was genetically with him, you know, because I remember we were, in a, we were training down in the gym and we we're practicing that. And, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd probably get red or whatever in the face, but he was not tapping. And it was, it was disconcerting to me, you know, to have someone allow me to have access to their throat and me not being able to put them, put them out. And then we tried it on someone else and they're tapping right away when I put it on. Cause I felt like, you know, so you're like, put it on, let's try it here. And other people were going like that. So um, there's always that, you know, strength has its place and sometimes your the leverage can't overcome that. Yeah, no, he's worked his neck conditioning like, you know, um, yeah, he doesn't, I, you know, he's not online much, okay? I don't, I don't mean like uh, Facebook even, just not even on the computer. Um, so uh, he's a good guy, really good guy. Um, uh, yeah, he, um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's weight categories, all right, for a reason in wrestling, boxing, or whatever, what have you, weightlifting. Um, because yeah, you could have the great technique, but it's just sometimes not enough. Um, you can't overcome somebody who's, who's got maybe not even equal technique, but close enough, you know, um, to, to negate it. But I mentioned there's points of, uh, diminishing returns too. If you, if you're solely focused on your strength to the point where you're so damn strong, like, you know, Pujanowski's strength, you know, uh, world's strongest man's strength, and completely eliminate your technique, um, you're doomed. And bear in mind, too, everything comes at a price, at a cost. So many of these strong men, their cardiovascular conditioning suffers, okay? Um, and I'm not talking about a strong man that weighs 160 pounds. I'm talking about there's guys that are 400 pounds, okay? high threes as well. Um, you know, that's a, that's a strain on your body. So you've, you got, it's all, it's a balancing act. Okay. So, um, I can only worry about me, you know? So I wanted to have a balance of, you know, great technique and, and, and great strength for my size, for my body. Um, the technique is something though, that you, you can be limitless strength. You're limited speed. You're limited. Now, those are components of technique because technique cannot exist in the absence of strength. If you had no strength, you cannot move, okay? Therefore, how can you have any technique? But there comes a point where your strength or your speed no longer is uh, beneficial to the technique. It's overkill. Mm -hmm. You have to know exactly the balance. Uh, but, you know, once you have that balance, once you have enough strength, speed, stamina, um, then you can work on your technique with, with, with no limits. The only thing that could hold you back is your mind. So many times people don't have the right mind, the mindset, the right approach. That's my biggest beef with a lot of people is their approach. Some of them are very gifted. 
They have all the athleticism in the world. They have the desire, some of them, not all of them, but some of them had the desire. Uh, but they just don't have the, the right mindset to, to, to formulate the strategy. So there again, all your technique is, is useless if you don't know how to apply it. So there's layers here. It's like an onion. There's, there's layers to all of this. And it's just not something that's simple. You know, it's not like go ahead and bench 400 pounds and then you'll be able to lick everybody. It's, it's never that simple, unfortunately. The, the, the thing you talked about, the mind, like when, Joe, when you were saying that the guy, you know, he would, he would take it. Um, it reminded me like, you know, like some of the soldiers I'd served with or whatever, at least a couple of ones that wound up, there's two in particular that were friends of mine. They just got out of the army. They went on to do special services and uh, special force type work or whatever. But uh, I remember James Halfman. He's from Cleveland. He was one of those guys, right? His mind, he did not want to lose. We used to have these things, like the soldiers get bored. You know, I was saying, like, we see who can lift the jerry can the most times, who can do the most push-ups or whatever, who can hold their breath. And like, this guy, his mind was such that he didn't want to lose that he would hold his breath till he passed out. I suspect he would be the same guy who would let you choke. He would not tap. He would not tap out. He, he, he'd pass out first or whatever, right? And I think that's the basis of his success as a soldier going forward, like more advanced than the, than the rest of us. Because, you know, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I couldn't beat him in anything. Like he could, he could lift the jerry can more than all of us or whatever, right? And he would lift it to like total muscle failure. Like the can was going to crush him in the head or whatever, right? Hmm. But so, but he was just, so some people just have that sort of that mental thing where they can just, they can persevere through the suffering and the pain more than the rest of us can. Well, I think with Radva and others, but I can't speak to others. I can, um, a lot of it is, and I'm not saying this is what your friend did, but you should ask him. Um, there's, there's a bit of self-hypnosis, okay? You almost go into like uh, a trance kind of thing. Um, some people call it the zone. Uh, we all do it. Every single person that I know has done it and you know that they've done it. And I'll give you a clear example of it. So somebody might be, let's say, reading a book or, or writing something, right? Or typing something. And you ask them a question and they don't even hear you, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, they have no idea that you even said anything. They're in that kind of trance, okay? And that's, uh, you have to kind of do that when you're in the, these situations, when you tap yourself or you have to tap into yourself to, um, to overcome the pain, this stuff of lifting the jerry can, it's painful, right? Um, bending coins or doing some of the stuff that I did was, I didn't bend coins, but that's in reference to Radvon, but, you know, um, is very painful. And you just have to kind of block it out. Um, mm-hmm. And you can to an extent, to a degree. Um, so, this is something that you need, you, I don't mean you specifically, you in general, you need to tap into that. You need to work on that. And, and I just don't like, sometimes people say the power of the mind and they make up, it, it's, it becomes uh, fantasy. Okay. It becomes yeah. ridiculous. And so you, you, you have to tread lightly. Um, but that is such an important key. 
And, and then the more cognitive mind is what I was referring to earlier about having a program, having a strategy, uh, not being a follower always, but, you know, starting to see things outside of the box and not believing the hype um, because things aren't always as they appear. And, you know, when you're, when, especially when it comes to, to fighting, uh, there's aspects of it that haven't been seen by people in general fans. Let's put it that way. Fans of the sport, you know, haven't seen it. Okay. What, what's really truly capable. Um, and, uh, some people won't, won't, they don't have the mind to, to get into that area. They don't know it. Others who have the, maybe more or less of the street fighting mind don't have the skills, don't have the techniques to draw from. So there's very few people that, that have the, the technical ability and have the, the, the right mindset and approach, um, you know, to pull it off. Now, you know, being in the service that, yeah, you guys learn things, but you know, it, it's, you're not going to be a world-class fighter. You don't have the time to put into it. Right. Um, and you, you know, it's just, so some of these guys, they come out of the service and they try to market themselves based on their service. Well, you know, okay. You were a great soldier. You were a great sailor. You were a great Marine, but the street fighting is, is something different. You, you, you weren't trained for that. You, right. you know, you had sidearms, you had this, you had that, you had blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people just, they get ooh and awed by, Oh, wow, this guy was a seal or this guy was, you know, a green beret. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, or this, you know, whatever, uh, what can you do? You know, what can All you right. do? What, Without, without, without the weaponry, without this, without that. Um, but I think the military, or not even the military, just in general, people who have reached a high level, it's their attributes, their, 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 their focus, their positive thinking, their, um, well, it's not always positive thinking, but their never giving up kind of attitude mm-hmm. um, is really what, what sways you. And I'll, go as far as to say that sometimes positive, positive thinking can actually work against you because if you're always putting a positive spin, Oh, things will work out. Things will work out. Things will work out. Um, I don't know if you have the drive. I don't know if you're really putting all your effort into it because you just assume no matter what, it's going to work out. Whereas I always came from the other approach where man, shit's going to go bad, man. Shit's just not going to work out. I've got to train harder and harder and harder and harder. So for me, that was my motivation. More or less, let's put it this way, like negative thinking, okay? Negative thinking was my motivator because I was afraid of the worst case scenario because I saw it. I had friends that died. I, I was involved in gunfights or not fights, but gun gun play. I didn't have a gun. I saw it with my grandmother, everything else. So I know how bad it could get. I wasn't going to sugarcoat this and think, oh, happy thoughts. Well, I'll watch a few Bruce Lee movies and that's good. You know, that'll put me in the mood. I'll be all right. No, yeah. I, no I can't do that. You know? So that's just now I'm not advocating everybody in the world become a negative thinker. Leave that to me. I'm pretty good at it. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told that by so many people. But part of me being a coach is to be negative. You know, I got to look at you and find all your flaws. You know, otherwise all I'm going to be to you as a fan. If all I keep doing is, 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 is paint a rosy picture for you, 
um, well, how good are you going to get? I mean, I want to mm-hmm. find out all your flaw, flaws, all your weaknesses, and and you know, and work on them. You you can't mm-hmm. do that if 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 you're always painting a rosy picture. I um oh Tony, I wanted to tell you Yo. sort of on this. Like uh, last time we talked, uh, we talked about the 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 survival camp with Joe. And I was talking about like the the fitness angle of it or whatever, and how you know um, as a basis of survival, yes. and, but it's a basis of living, right? And um, I find I want to just tell you, I finally I'm giving up my inner butter bean, and I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. I, 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 I and so what I did is um, I have a bum knee or whatever. Right? I got the, no cartilage left or whatever, so. To address this, I've been going to physical therapy, right? And I'm a, I'm a high, I'm not a positive thinker either all the time, but I do have a high spirit, meaning like I threw myself at the physical therapist, even though she's only 90 pounds, I was like, help me, right? And, <laughs> you know, and I got to report that um, I, I am, you know, up to like one and a half pushups, you know, you know, more than that, but I'm just saying. So, I mean, I, 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 I listened to you when we talked on that podcast or whatever, and I took the action, right? I have a knee brace now. And what I'm trying to say to you is that uh, we can talk offline or I'll talk to Joe or whatever. I think, you know, I uh, can get over my, you know, whatever, my uh, body image thing. And like, actually, I want to actually start training. Um, And I don't know in what or whatever, but it, it, but I want to like extend the physical therapy, the the stuff I'm learning there, because, you know, I, I pretty much had to learn how to walk again, really, um, because my the muscles in the leg with the bad knee are all that they, they weren't they were atrophy or whatever, the ones that you mm-hmm. use for balance and whatnot or whatever. So um, I, I'm feeling good about it. And, I'm, and, you know, and, you know, I don't want to I'm not a sort of a talker about it, right? I, I'm a self-motivated sort of guy over there. So I just wanted to report sure. back to you that I listened to you and I agree with you and I wanted to know that I'm taking those steps or whatever. That's um, great to hear. So um, that's, all, that's what I wanted to tell you mostly well, before I, we ended. Makes me proud. Yeah. You know, if, if anything I could tell you is uh, make your best workout facility your, your kitchen. You know, I tell people this, you know, your, your weight, your diet, you know, your diet is so important and all that takes is for you to not you specifically, you in general, to just get up, to get up, walk into the kitchen and set up uh, a routine, you know, look at what you have, figure out what you can go and purchase and just cut the calories, you know, watch Mm -hmm. what you eat. Um, The less you weigh uh, when, especially when you're talking about rehabilitation, it's easier on your body. Um, and that's something that anyone can um, manifest. You can do that yourself. You don't need, you know. Um, so in essence, watch your portions. It's again, talk about power of the mind. A lot of that becomes ah. power of the mind. Yeah. You know okay. that. Yeah. Because you get into it. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. You know what? I guarantee you, if you start drinking a bunch of water or something or drinking coffee, you know, black coffee, because, you know, no calories, eventually that hunger is going to pass. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't mean go four days without eating, but I'm just saying you could go four hours, five hours, six hours, make it till you go to bed, and then you're mm-hmm. fine. Um, so that's, and, and we're all guilty of it, okay? Everybody's kind of guilty of, of, of having given in to cravings and so on. And it's okay to treat yourself now and then. But 
Um, you know, you want to just have control of yourself. And I tell this in fighting. Before you can control an opponent, you have to have control of yourself. You have to be able to control your body and your mind. And I know a lot of people are, uh, or not a lot of people, but, you know, some people are just out of control, you know, um, just don't have the control over themselves, over their body. Um, you, you have the mind for this. You're intelligent, you're articulate, and you care. Like you just said now, you, you have the desire. Let's get her done. Anything mm-hmm. I can do to help, reach out. Anything you need, just let me know. Okay. Thank you, Tony. You're welcome. You know, um, now let's focus in a little bit about Joe. We talk about negatives. It, I see Joe. It's like an enigma because you know it as well as I do, Dwayne. The man doesn't have a flaw. He doesn't have a fault. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, so what? Right. You got to ask him. Well, you're right. They'll <laughs> tell you that. So you have to make shit up. You just have to start making things up. You know. Um, but no, with me, like I've been really under the weather going on four weeks now. I don't feel up to it. Um, I've actually lost weight uh, quite a bit, you know, so I'm I'm doing the opposite now. I've got to try to keep weight on uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I know that uh, I call them the Canadians. I got to make a video for them, but I want to do it when I'm when I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to just make a video of, hey, how you doing, guys? You know, uh, you know, I want to be razor sharp. So I, I'm I'm starting to, I thought Friday I turned the corner a little bit. It was the first day that I actually left the house in three and a half weeks. Scott picked me up. I had to do some grocery shopping and help him carry his groceries because he can't. Um, he's got health issues. Um, so, uh, so I thought, great. And then yesterday, not so great. You know, and today, you know, I'm kind of lethargic again. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But, you know, there, it's no excuse to for your diet. Your diet is, and I think that was part of my issue because I was legitimately sick. I couldn't go to, sh- I couldn't shop. Couldn't, mm-hmm. I can't go. Uh, so we were, I was running out of quality, you know, anything good to eat. So, so like I said, Friday, I was able to get some food quite a lot for my mom and I, and, you know, she has her food. She always has her food, but I, 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 when I shop, I go more for her than I do for me. Well, Friday, I kind of started equally. <laughs> I, I had a lot of bags of groceries. I'm like, well, okay. I, I got her covered for quite a while. I got to get myself some stuff. So let's, let's see what this week brings. Hopefully I can put on a, about three or four more pounds. Okay. And now I'm hungry for lunch after all that food talk. Well, then we can wrap this show up, but I, I want to say thanks um, for Dwayne being here. And of course for Brian popping in. And um, so once I start to feel better, I want to start back to filming weekly videos for Facebook, uh, uh, YouTube, like I was. And um, with this camera, ultimately when the weather down the line, when the weather breaks, spring, summer, I have a nice the small. I have a Sony uh, ZV one. Oh, um, nice! So yeah, it. I I bought it a few months ago because Javier kind of said you need to because I mm-hmm. sold my. I had to sell my better camera, um, just because you know you hit rough times. So I sold it, but this one I got. You know, this wasn't expensive, but I have it all set nice, so I can take this on show on the road. So I don't have to. You know, if I can go outside or go somewhere with this camera, um, I'll do it. Um, because for me guys, 
because I'm trapped here and I'm by myself and I'm isolated. It's hard for me to be creative. And I remember as a young man, when I was very young, I had this thing. I never really went after it, but I wanted to write a book. Okay. Not about fighting or anything, just a book. And I remember studying about writers and how some of them would go to the woods or they would go uh, stay at a motel for a month, whatever it was to get the inspiration to write. So when, for me being like this and isolated for so long, a couple of years or so, um, it's hard for me to get motivated uh, and get my creative juices flowing. This video that we did for BJJ Fanatics, I relied fervently on Joe and Brian and, and Javier and, and uh, others to give me, you know, their creative input um, because my brain just is shutting down because I'm so focused on my mother and things. Um, I can't get creative. So I need to light that fire. Uh, so I'm hoping that sometimes in February, but definitely by March, I want to get things rolling because the weather should be better by then. Um, oh, I lost my thing here. Of course, it don't matter. I can't hear out of my right ear anyway. Um, I uh, just want to, you know, start to get creative again. And it's, it's, uh, it's very difficult when you're under stress, you know, and you got other, mm-hmm. other things working against you. So mm-hmm. let's see how that pans out. Wish me luck. Good luck. Well, guys, uh, and everybody in the viewing audience and listening audience, I do want to say thanks for the support. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, you know, like everyone, I get my highs and I get my lows. Um, and right now I'm in one of those lows, okay, because things are really taking a turn terribly with, with my mom to the point where, you know, it's, you know, it's rough and, you know, trying to get her a place to, to go is, it's not easy. It's uh, so it's putting a big burden and a stress. So sometimes I take it out. Like, I don't want to quit doing this stuff. I love it, but I, I honestly do need to make a living. And now since I can't leave and I can't go out and teach and I can't even go and get a part-time job if I had to, uh, I can't go out and shoot pool for money. I can't do anything. You know, I really rely on people to, um, purchase my products on my website or do the, the BJJ fanatics thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, so I, I get pensive, you know, I get like worst case, again, the negative, like what's going to happen, what's going to happen. But I, I plan on being around. Um, I want to see how Joe's life turns out. Um, that's kind of like my motivating factor. Isn't it yours, Dwayne? I mean, Absolutely. is he going to, yeah, I mean, he's got potential. I mean, I'm, we'll defi- I'm definitely pulling for a happy ending, so. <laughs> <Stone Park> <laughs> I used to be able, I could have helped you years ago in Stone Park, but all the girls that I know are gone. <laughs> well, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you clarified. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. We know how you think, Joe. I mean, you've got a great All right, trip, guys, but... well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shut up would you this is family oriented now that bruce isn't on this week boy was he dropping the f-bombs last week or what my god yeah. you know um i try to clean up my act on this year. this is like the only time i don't curse probably when i'm on this camera <laughs> i don't know 
we got to film me out in public, like like when I'm out at the, at the joints that I go to. We got to bring this camera, and uh, you got to film me whenever reports, I can or? get out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see Tony, <clears throat> Tony in action. We'll do one of those things. TIA, you know, nice. like thanks in advance. Hey, that's a good day. There you go. That'll be a, a new uh, a video title for you know TIA Tony in action. That'll be our spinoff podcast, like the Jeffersons. Okay. Yeah, yeah moving on cool. up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. All right. And everybody, I'll see you guys next week, February. All right. See ya. Thank you.